Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So this episode is one that I actually released back in the day. I recently revisited this episode, and there are so many points that I kind of brush over throughout most of my episodes currently. And this is one episode that I feel that wraps up so many of my key points around your relationship with yourself and confidence. I think all of us want to feel true confidence, this feeling of comfort within our own skin and happiness with who we are. And this episode kind of really packages up most of the things that I talk around, you know, how you feel within your own skin, how you feel about yourself within other relationships and situations at work and pretty much every scenario in your life. So I was going for a walk the other day. I pulled up this old episode and I thought this is perfect and we need to revisit it. So this episode is all about self-confidence and seven things that you can do to improve it. So I'm very excited to bring this one back. It is after listening to one of my all-time favorites. So I hope you enjoy also It's one of my favorite brain facts as well, which is about um, water toxicity and what happens when you drink too much water. This is like one of my all-time favorite brain facts. So just, it's just a bonus that they're both in the same episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Love you. This episode is all going to be about confidence. I have seven things for you guys to increase your confidence. Um, And you're going to realize that like I've pretty much banged on about this a lot, but really everything to do with confidence, everything to do with pretty much your relationships, your success. It all has to do with your relationship, of course, with yourself. That's pretty much what every episode is based around, you know, improving your relationship with yourself. And this confidence episode is no different to that. But what I want to do is I want to give you really manageable, uh, tangible things that you can do to help increase your levels of self-confidence and just confidence in general. But you're going to say that self-confidence and confidence in general is kind of the same thing, kind of, okay? So I'm going to be talking about some key points. And, it, you know, I've, I've, I was reading up a lot about this and going into the science of confidence. And what I don't like is when people are like, just smile. It's like, yeah, that's good. That actually, yeah, it's all right. But why? And also, that's not going to make me confident. So give me something I can actually fucking do that's going to change how I feel. So that's what this episode is going to be about. Now, of course, before we get into it, I want to do not much on a weekly update, nothing really going on there that's so riveting that I've got to talk about, uh, but I do want to go into a brain fact. This one is fucking great. I had forgotten about this one. I remember it. I was going over my uni notes and I remember that we covered this um, at uni and it's, it's fucking good. It's very interesting. So let's get straight into the brain fact. We're going to be talking about water intoxication. And before I get into water intoxication, I want to tell you a story about a woman. Okay. So I think her name was Casey, or they at least refer to her name as Casey in some like studies. I don't know if that's her actual name, but we're calling her Casey. This woman, Casey, entered a uh, radio competition called Hold Your Wee for Wee. And basically you had to go into the radio station and drink three gallons, up to three gallons of water which is like 11 litres of water uh, in a two-hour time frame. And the last person standing, like who wouldn't vomit or who, who wouldn't pee, would win a Nintendo Wii. So that was the competition. Anyway, so this mum of I think two or three children, she was 28 years old, Casey. She went in, she wanted to really win this Nintendo Wii for her children. And she, I think she either won or she came runner-up, but she held it 
didn't pee, didn't vomit, but she felt really, really ill. Anyway, then she gets home. She's complaining to her husband about like crazy, crazy headaches, pressure behind her eyeballs. Um, She's feeling really nauseous but not vomiting. She's not peeing. She just doesn't feel well at all. And she ended up, I think, going to bed to try and kind of – you know, like ease the symptoms, but she just didn't feel like peeing. She didn't feel like vomiting, but she felt very, very unwell. Anyway, long story short, I don't know the exact details of how it went down, but she ended up having repeated seizures and going to the ER. Once she got to the ER, things just went from bad to worse and she ended up dying. Okay. And she had not, she literally, this poor woman died from drinking 11 litres of water in two hours and she had not vomited or urinated. And even if she did, I'm going to, you'll see why in a sec, but death probably still would have been the outcome. And I'm going to explain why. So what happened? It was determined that she had died of water intoxication and she was suffering from from something called acute hyponatremia. So acute meaning that it's just a sudden onset. It's not like a a chronic thing. Um, Hypo meaning low and natremia, natrium, means sodium. And if you look at the table of elements, sodium is is represented by Na, okay? Because sodium was previously known as natrium. And here, hyponatremia, um, so that's low sodium and then emia means presence in the blood. So low sodium in the blood. That's what she ended up dying of. And this is pretty difficult to die of water intoxication, okay? Because you would either have to be intentional, like it was in this case, where she's forcing water into her body when her body's clearly not wanting it or not asking for it. And then there's also some cases where people have taken drugs of some sort where they have this absolutely unquenchable thirst and they keep drinking and drinking and drinking, which also leads to water intoxication. And then there's also some cases where um, it can occur with marathon runners as well, where their kidneys aren't, you know, the way their kidneys work when their body's under so much pressure isn't how they normally work. So they're not processing things as quickly and they're drinking a lot of water. They're not, anyway, so it's this whole balance basically. And they can also get this water water intoxication. You don't necessarily, not everyone who drinks that much water will die of it. There are symptoms and the symptoms are like nausea, confusion, disorientation, vomiting, in bad cases, seizures, and then, of course, in really bad cases, death, okay? Now, for the part that I really want to talk about, what is going on for this to happen? So, sodium in your body is essential for pretty much everything, right? For your action potentials, for everything. And there's this careful balance of sodium flowing inside and outside your cells, and they they kind of flow in and out through your cell membrane, okay? So, like the package that your cell, the cells packaged in this membrane, And it also does something called osmotic gradient, which basically means that water flows toward the sodium. Now, your kidneys, separate to that, your kidneys can process, give or take, around 800 to 1,000 milliliters of water per hour, roughly. Okay, so this is why, in this woman's case, within a two-hour time frame, she had had 11 liters of water and even if she had peed a bit, it still wouldn't have been enough to save her because there's only so much that her kidneys can be processing in that time frame. So the damage was already being done. So if you're drinking more than this, you know, 800 to 1,000 milliliters per hour, then you're drinking more than what can be processed and flushed out. And so that 
water has to go somewhere. It can't be processed through your kidneys. So then it ends up in your cells. Your cells start absorbing all this water. And when there's too much water in the cells, that sodium concentration is now diluted. And because your body is always trying to find homeostasis and it's trying to restore the sodium balance, because it's like, wow, there's too little sodium in these cells, it, it starts drawing more and more water into the cells trying to get more sodium in as well. And that's why your cells then swell, okay? So all your little cells, all the membranes, there's all this water inside the membrane and it starts to swell. Now, if this happens a little bit kind of throughout your body, it's kind of okay because your tissues can swell up to some degree, your organs can swell to some degree, your muscles, all of that. But the problem is that your brain cannot swell really that much because your brain can only swell to the amount that the skull will allow, which is not much at all. Your brain is encased in this hard casing. It's not like your arm that can swell quite a lot before damage is done or your leg or your abdomen. This is very different. It's encased in a fucking skull, right? So this swelling starts to cause huge buildup of pressure in your brain, okay? And then the, the, that pressure starts to crush the blood vessels that are carrying oxygen to the brain. So all the cells are swelling up. It's squeezing all the blood vessels in between that carries oxygen to the brain. And deprivation of oxygen is then going to cause permanent cell damage, cell necrosis, which is cell death, which then leads to brain damage, stroke, and then of course, death. Okay. So, and this can also happen if you drink a lot of things like beer as well or whatever, anything that's too much fluid in a short time frame, this can happen. So yeah, that's the fucking brain fact for today. I found that so fascinating and sad that this poor woman had no idea. Anyway, I don't even know what ended up happening if anyone got sued for that or negligence or whatever, but it's so fucked up. Never play a game where you're racing to drink water. Like just we humans find the most creative way to abuse their own bodies for just for fun. It's just bizarre. Anyway, so never just never engage in one of those activities where you're racing to see who can drink so much water and hold it in all that shit that's very bad for you okay so on a on a fucking lighter note let's talk about confidence so i feel like a lot of the time we don't really know how to become more confident so let's just talk about confidence in self what is confidence confidence is it's a certainty. It's a feeling of certainty. It's a feeling that can't be borrowed. It can't be bought. It can't be stolen. It's got to be a feeling that arises from within, right? And this feeling is this grounded, calm, secure in the moment or secure in oneself feeling. It's a certainty of yourself, okay? It doesn't feel like shallow breathing. It doesn't feel like butterflies. It doesn't feel like this crazy excitement that's something totally different it feels natural and it feels relaxed okay so whether you're the quietest person in the world or the loudest person in the room it doesn't matter confidence is all about your relationship with you with yourself okay you can be an introvert and the most confident person because you're just calm you're not nervous around other people you're just like I just don't want to be the loudest one in the room and Alternatively, you can be the loudest person in the room and the one, but you might be suffering with a lot of self-confidence. So don't get the two things mixed up, okay, because they are different. So now let's look at what, what a lack of confidence looks like or feels like. So that's second-guessing yourself. It's worrying about what people think. It's uncertainty in your actions and then fear of the repercussions of your actions. It's hesitating. But not just here or there, it's always hesitating about what you're going to say, what you're going to do, what people are going to think. It's this, ah, what do I do? It's fear of judgment. 
It's nerves. It's this nervous feeling, okay? That is a lack of confidence. And the more sure of yourself you are, the more comfortable you're going to feel. There's less anxiety, there's less uncertainty, which then leads, which leads to less stress, of course. And even for the little things, if you second guess everything you do, you start to feel uneasy with who you are and then this then impacts your ability to trust yourself moving forward in other things, in bigger things, in big life decisions. And so then you start to play small and small and small and you don't take action because you don't trust your own abilities or you don't trust yourself to make the right decision and that's where lack of confidence comes from, okay? And confidence, mind you, it can be actually, it can be genetic and it can be nurture and it can also be learnt. So even if you were born without this confidence, you know, passed down through your genes and even if you weren't raised in a way where you were kind of made to feel really confident and comfortable with yourself and your decisions, you can still learn how to be confident, okay? Now, I'm going to be breaking it down into like seven main points of things that you can do to increase your confidence or just even start working on your confidence. Even if you do one or two of these things, you'll start to feel some differences. Ideally, try and do as many as are applicable to you. So number one, take action for the action and not the outcome. What I mean by this is let's say you want to upload a photo onto Instagram of yourself, you know, or you want to text your ex-partner or you want to message someone to ask them on a date or you want to um, pull your friend up for doing something and you, and you want them to apologize, for example. If this action that you want to take doesn't go the way you wanted it to go, would it make you spiral? And what I mean by that is there are going to be three outcomes to every possible action that you take. There's a positive outcome. The person says, yes, I want to go on a date with you. There's a negative outcome. They say, no, fuck you. I don't know. No, you're fucked. I'm not going on a date with you. And then there's a neutral outcome, which could be, look, this week's not working for me, but maybe like, so it's like, it isn't a yes, it, it's not a no, it's a, it could be, okay? The same thing could go for if you were to reach out to someone that you want an apology for. Positive outcome is they apologize. Negative outcome is that they send you to hell and a neutral outcome is that they're like, well, you know, I don't know, I don't, you know, or they just don't reply at all. That could also be a neutral outcome. You get no response, okay? Now, if you are comfortable to say, no matter what the outcome of those three, no matter what, even if they send me to hell, I will not beat myself up about this because it doesn't reflect who I am as a person. But I want, I still want to do this because I want to get it off my chest or I want to eliminate this person as a, as, a, as a potential date. So if they don't want to date me, then I don't waste time thinking about it. If the reason that you're doing something is because the action is important to you and not one specific outcome, then you're doing it for the right reasons and that's not going to damage your level of confidence within you. But if you're taking this action thinking, I'm going to fucking die if they don't answer the way I want them to answer. I'll, I'll just crumble. Oh my God, I've got to hide behind a, a rock if they say no. I can't, I can't fathom, I can't fathom. If you cannot fathom the possibility of the outcome being neutral or negative, you should not be taking that action. You should not be taking the action because it means that your action, the action that you're taking is done for validation or it's done for someone to confirm that you've done something right or wrong. You know, it's justifying your actions. If you think that you need an outcome to justify your action or to validate who you are as a person, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And this kind of seeking behavior impacts your self-confidence immensely. It's one of the biggest things that's going to impact your self-confidence. And it makes you less confident for the following time and the following time because you're thinking, well, that didn't go well last time and I was hinging all my, all you know, who I am and who I think, what I think about myself on that outcome and it, and it 
failed and now I feel like a fuckwit, you know, if, if that's how you're feeling, then every time you're put in a situation where you've got to be vulnerable and put yourself out there, you're less likely to go ahead and do that for yourself, okay? And you're not going to take action. So always ask yourself, what are the outcomes? Am I, am I going to be fine and am I going to be kind to myself regardless of the outcomes? And if the answer is yes, go ahead and take that action. Who cares what the action is? You do you. Even Who cares? Even if you're some psycho that's triple texting, it doesn't matter. As long as you feel okay with yourself and as long as you don't beat up on yourself because of an action that you can't control because it's someone else taking that action. Okay? Number two, learn to ride the wave and focus on clarity. So what I mean by this is that confidence and lack of confidence comes in waves. Even the most confident people in the world are going to have moments where they don't feel that confident. It could be in their work. It could be in, you know, their bodies. It could be in their appearance, their relationships. We all, all of us go through moments where we feel fucking powerful and confident. And then when we feel like, oh, I don't really feel, you know, don't think that someone who's got great levels of self-confidence definitely feels like that 24-7. Not necessarily. Maybe a handful of people for sure, but not for most people, it comes in waves. Now, I want you to understand that those intense feelings, any intense feeling that you feel, is not sustainable for a long period of time, okay? Your brain gets tired, your brain gets fatigued, you as a person get fatigued and tired. Even think about when you've gone through a heartbreak, that the pain of that heartbreak is not acute 24-7. It comes in waves, okay? It's this like, oh my God, I can't fathom leaving the house. It's awful, it's awful, it's awful. And then before you know it, you're out to dinner and you've got a moment of relief and you're with some friends and you feel good. Then you get home and then you cry again. That's what happens, right? The same thing goes for when you're lacking confidence. Now, when you identify that you're feeling shit about yourself, I want you to pause and acknowledge that you're going to ride this wave, okay? And you could do, you can apply this. It doesn't have to be for confidence. You could apply this for anything. But what I want you to do is pause, okay? And I want you to just focus on clarity. You have to think the main thing I'm going to do right now is not spiral and catastrophize because you can't sustain these intense feelings for a long time. But it makes it a lot easier to sustain these awful feelings if you're contributing to the awful feelings by adding on really hurtful and um, like harmful words to yourself. So say, for example, you're trying to do a piece of work an essay or something for work and you're just like, oh, I'm just not feeling confident. I don't think I'm doing a good job. Instead of pushing through being like, you're a fucking idiot, you're a fucking idiot, this isn't working, pushing through, pushing through, pushing through, you're sustaining that feeling for longer than it needs to be felt. What I recommend you do is you pause. You step away from the work for 10 minutes if you can, whatever, however long you need to. Step away from the work and you say to yourself, what am I catastrophizing, what am I catastrophizing thoughts right now? Am I making a blanket statement instead of saying like, oh, I'm so shit at this, I'm so shit at this. Look at everything I have done thus far. It's just this one thing right now that I don't feel confident in and I'm just going to breathe through it, take a moment and regroup. Sometimes resistance takes more effort than just allowing. And so what I, what I say is that when it's quite an intense feeling of self-doubt and not feeling confident in yourself, instead of trying to push through the feeling, push through the feeling, and then resist, 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 and that's exhausting for you emotionally, you stop doing what you're doing. You pull away, and then if the feeling is so intense that even just by pausing and trying to not 
trying to look at your catastrophizing thoughts and change it and rewrite them, then I recommend that you do something that's going to distract you a little bit, just something to change your focus. It's like a circuit breaker, okay? Now, this kind of distracting behavior that you engage in cannot elicit more loading of emotions. So social media is a no-go zone. Never use social media as distracting behavior when you are feeling down about yourself. You're going to play solitaire, draw something, read, watch a movie, okay? But nothing where you're engaging in this social media thing of back and forth because that can elicit a whole bunch of emotions and you don't know what you're going to scroll up upon next, okay? So that's out. And when you do this, you're just stepping aside to calm yourself down. You're trying to calm your really busy mind that's being cruel to yourself, okay? Take your mind off the task. You only make it harder for yourself. This will pass. The wave will pass. Relax yourself and then return to your work when that wave has passed, okay? Understand that everybody goes through these waves. Number three, let's get on to number three. This is pay attention to what confidence feels like and it's not what you think. Pay attention, number three, pay attention to what confidence feels like. How do you feel? Ask yourself right now, how do you feel when you are just yourself with a dog or a cat or any pet really? But let's just say a a dog, for example, or a cat. How do you feel? Or how do you feel the next best thing to a dog or a cat, as far as feeling comfortable within your own skin, is how do you feel when you are around the person that's closest to you? So it could be your best friend, your sibling. It's the kind of person that when you're around them, you never think about what you look like. You never think about, oh, did what I say just sound weird? You never think about, oh, my skin's really bad and I, you know, it's flaring up and I don't, like it's the kind of people that you could, it doesn't matter how you look, it doesn't matter how you sound, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth, you're just like, oh, couldn't like I just feel so I can just say whatever when I'm around you and and it's the kind of people that you can sit in silence and it doesn't feel awkward you can sit next to them for silence for ages and there's no awkwardness around it okay so the best example of how you feel comfortable comfortable in your own skin is an animal because they are a creature of absolute zero judgment and that's when you feel most comfortable but then the next best thing is a, a person that also does that how do you feel what does that feel like that feeling right there that is confidence that feeling of I am just me existing and if I want to say something funny, I can. If I want to sit here in silence, I can. If I want to go to sleep, I can. Whatever it is, I am not going to be judged and even if I am going to be judged, I'm like, lol, I don't care if you judge me. I fucking love you, whatever. It's that feeling, okay? It's this calm underlying like this beautiful calm energy that exists within you that is confidence that is the feeling that you are going to think about every time you think about self-confidence don't think it's getting up on a stage and talking to all these people don't think you've got to approach strangers and that comes later and even then you might never want to be that kind of person because it just doesn't appeal to you okay so don't stress about that we're talking about ultimately how you feel within you Who cares if you can never approach someone because it just doesn't really appeal to you and speak in front of a huge crowd? As long as you feel comfortable and happy with who you are and that being enough, that is self-confidence, okay? It feels calm. It feels relaxed. It's not filled with adrenaline. It's like a deep certainty that you don't even have to think about it, okay? It's the opposite of second-guessing yourself. Look how relaxed you are around these people when when you feel the most comfortable, okay? That's what you want to be focusing on. And don't, don't confuse it for anything else. Number four, exercise and sauna. 
I know you guys are probably sick of me banging on about it, but I'm going to bang on about it until the day I die. Exercise and sauna, okay? It works. And the reason it works is because exercising, ideally high intensity, but something, anything's better than nothing. High intensity is superior for, for what I'm about to talk about, superior. Um, and saunas. They actually change what is going on in your brain, okay? They actually change the chemical flows and, and um, cycles within your brain. They change the levels of cortisol. They change the levels of feel-good neurotransmitters such as serotonin and um, endorphins and, of course, dopamine, okay? You're getting this whole – and even brain-derived neurotrophic factor. You're getting all of that. Okay, it's fucking phenomenal. Now, when you do that, when you exercise, when you change your physical state, when you get more oxygen to your brain, when you're breathing deeper, when you change your posture, these things are great for reducing your baseline levels of cortisol, which is your stress hormone. When your cortisol levels are low, your brain regions start to interact a lot better. Okay, you're able to intercept stressful thoughts a lot faster. You're able to stop that catastrophic language and and universal language to yourself where instead of saying, oh, I failed at that, you say, oh, I'm a failure. Okay, the part of the brain that does all that reasoning that helps you reason yourself down off that cliff is your prefrontal cortex. And when you exercise and when you sauna, you're increasing not only activity throughout the prefrontal cortex, but you're increasing the connectivity between the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system, which is more the fear-based, emotional-based, detrimental talk-based part of the brain. Okay? So you have to move your body. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you hate the gym. I don't care if you don't care about how your body's going to look. Who cares? You exercise for your brain. You exercise for the feeling that it gives you, okay? Ideally, you also want to do it for your body as well. But even if you don't, do it for your brain, okay? Saunas, incredible. I have a whole episode on saunas, okay? The benefits of saunas. Go check it out. It's phenomenal. Do it every single week. Go find a gym where you pay 25 bucks. I go to a gym that's $25 a week and there's just a traditional sauna there. Game changer and I try and go most days. I'd, I'd probably go five, five days a week. It's amazing. If you are ever in a rut, if you're ever feeling like this heavy weight is pulling down and you don't feel confident, 10-minute exercise, jump on YouTube and look up a 10-minute workout, I don't, just whatever, jump up and down 30 times or book yourself into a sauna. I can guarantee you that the results of how you feel will be instant, instant, okay? Even if you don't feel, oh my God, at the top of the world, it will at the very least, at the very least, lighten the load that you're feeling in that moment quite significantly. So please use this tool and use it all the time. It's amazing. Number five, approach things differently. Before you do something daunting, I want you to change how you perceive it. If you're going to put something on a pedestal and if you're going to dread that thing, then it's going to trigger an array of stress emotions, cortisol release, and then it's going to feel really unpleasant. And then you're going to link that unpleasant feeling with how confident you feel about this thing that you're about to do, okay? Because it's rarely as bad. Things are rarely as bad as we make it out to be. It's actually the emotions that we hold around it that cause us so much pain and suffering. You know, when you're anticipating doing something, it's almost like you're suffering twice because you still got to do that thing. But then here you are anticipating, thinking about how bad it's going to be. And often when you're doing it, even if it's unpleasant, you're quite distracted 
you're distracted doing the task or being at this event or speaking to this person that it might not be pleasant, but it's rarely as bad as we make it out to be in our heads, right? So it's this idea of what are you going to do about that time frame before you embark on that activity or task that's causing you so much discomfort and it's causing you to not feel confident about how you're going to perform in that moment, okay? So what I recommend that you do, let, let's say you're going to go on a date and you're nervous as fuck and you don't know what to do. If you know that that's how you're going to be based on your past, that that before a date you're freaking the fuck out, don't be alone. Think of a friend that always makes you laugh and go and hang out with a friend. Get ready at your friend's place or get your friend to come over and get ready with you. It really lightens the mood. And even if you're not nervous, do it because it's it, it's so incredible what what bouncing off someone that you that you just have a great rapport with does before you go on a date. Before I went on my first date with Tyrone, Liv, my best friend, she came over. If you guys don't already know Liv, she came over and we got ready to get – well, not together. She wasn't coming on the date, lol. But we got ready. Um, we chose my outfit. We had a drink. We just like laughed and whatever, ha, 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 ha. And then from that energy, being with my friend, from that bouncing, bang, 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 boom, I go to the date. And I was so relaxed. I was so calm. I couldn't even tell you if I was going to be nervous or not. I'm not sure because I just had such a chilled, relaxed, fun afternoon. So if you know that you're going to freak out before a date – do something like that. If you're about to approach your boss about something unfair, call the friend that always makes you laugh or call your sip. Call someone that always is going to put you in a good mood. You should have at least a handful of people like that that you can go to and that you can be that person for them as well. You can even approach your friend and say, hey, from now on, I'm going to be that person that whenever you're stressed or whatever, you're going to call me and I'm going to switch your mood. I'm going to remind you of something funny that happened or I'm just going to, you know, just try and Shake things up in, in how you're feeling. It works because you're getting this, you're getting not only a release of all these feel-good chemicals within your brain, but you also get more of an oxytocin release, which is that bonding kind of um, neurochemical, neurohormone. You get this beautiful release of oxytocin. You're laughing together. You're laughing with someone. Ideally, it's in person, but you can do it over the phone. And it really changes your mood and it changes how you approach something. If you're going into a scary meeting just speak to someone that calms you down. Going on a date, going on whatever, whatever it is, okay? That's what you're going to do. Even if it's before an exam, you've done all the studying you can do. There's not really much you're going to learn in the last hour leading up to that exam. Go sit down and have a coffee or a tea with someone that's going to just really take your mind off it and relax you. You're much better off spending that one hour before this hectic exam relaxing and unwinding than you are reviewing shit, Okay, because by the time it's one hour before the exam, that you're really not going to retain anything. You're just not. Okay, it's going to be falling into your short-term memory and then poof out the window. Okay, you should have already learnt that shit. This is your time to unwind. So approach it differently. Number six. This is the second last one. Trick your brain. Trick your brain. This is kind of a fake it till you make it kind of scenario, which I kind of love sometimes, and I kind of don't love depending on the situation. But in this situation. It's great. So you've got to understand that every emotion is linked with physical, like a physical symptom, if you want to call it, okay? With, with you know, so for example, let's look at anxiety. It feels like shallow breathing. You might be feeling something like, like a pit in your stomach. You're feeling like um, your face might be flushed. You, your heart is racing. That's anxiety, right? So that's a feeling. But those same feelings, those physical symptoms also – can go for other things as well, like excitement or so for example, okay, for example, 
people that suffer from anxiety, especially chronic anxiety, where it's like, a f- you know, it happens to them all the time, they often complain about this pain or cramps in their stomach, okay? And it's such an associated feeling for them that when they're anxious, they feel this kind of feeling in their tummy, okay? Now, in isolation to that, when they experience stomach pains, just in isolation, they start to think, why am I anxious? Why am I nervous? What's making me anxious? I feel anxious. I feel anxious. They haven't stopped to think, wait a minute, am I just feeling stomach pains or why does my tummy hurt? They instantly jump to my tummy hurts. I must be anxious. So that is a good explanation of how strong the link of your physical symptoms is to your actual emotions. So given that, you can start to kind of trick your brain into an emotion, all right? So if your heart is racing and you're feeling this nervous, nervous energy, then what you can start to do is just jump up and down a few times and start to shake out that nervous energy and you start to confuse your brain into thinking, okay, this is the feeling I'm feeling when I'm anxious, but that same level of energy and blood pumping and my heart racing is the same as when I exercise. So I'm going to exercise right now, bang, 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 bang. And you start to blend those like physical symptoms from associating those physical symptoms to anxiety. Now you're associating those physical symptoms to I've just worked out, okay? And you start to do that and you start to cut that association of physical symptoms to anxiety and then you make it, oh, I'm excited or I've just worked out. A lot of the symptoms do overlap. I remember when I was doing acting and I used to go into an audition and I'd be like, oh, I'm excited, I'm excited. And now I'm like, was I... Was I excited or was I nervous? Because it was similar symptoms to the people next to me being like, oh, I'm so nervous about this audition. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm just excited. Maybe I just interpreted the exact same physical symptoms as excitement when in reality it could have been ner- – who knows what it was. But I was just like, wow, this is excitement. So I'm just going to take it as that. Another thing that you're going to do is look at the physicality of someone that's – look at the physicality when you're around someone that you're relaxed with. Like I said, the dog-cat thing. Your posture's probably good, you know, you're you're breathing deep, you're really relaxed, you know, you're just, you're chilled, you're chilled. And then look at your physicality when you're really stressed, anxious and nervous. It's very different. You're hunched over, you're shallow breathing, you're probably talking quieter, okay? So instantly look at your physicality and think, what can I change about my physical body that's going to hopefully impact my emotions? And very quickly, if you start to relax your body and shake it up, jump up and down a bit, shake out that nervous energy, you'll start to feel a bit more relaxed because there is such a heavy link between your physicality and your emotions. So use that to your advantage and trick your brain. Now, last one, number seven, start to trust yourself on the little things. So like I said, a lot of your confidence stems from trust in yourself. And if you're confident in your habits and your behaviors and your memory, then you're in general going to be a more confident person and more sure of yourself, okay? So for example, try and think of somebody, it could be you, but try and think of someone in your life that's always second-guessing themselves on what they did. Oh, did did I lock the door? Oh, did I? I don't know if I did this. I don't know if I did that. Did I send this? And that person in general, not, not in every case, but in general, also has some confidence issues with being bold on what actions they're going to take without second guessing without hesitating you know often it kind of is linked this lack of confidence of your own habits and behaviors and abilities and did I do this did I not do this if you're constantly in your head second guessing your own actions then that's going to bleed into other areas of confidence as well 
Now, I'm not saying that if you left the house and you thought, fuck, I honestly think I left the oven turned on, that's got nothing to do with your confidence. But I'm saying, if is it a constant daily thing where you're just like, did I do that? I don't know if I did that. Ugh. I don't know if I can change lanes. Can I change lanes? Can I, can I, you know, it's this constant, you're not sure of yourself when you go to take an action. So what I want you to do is pick a couple of actions that you do in your life and make it more of a routine so you have more confidence in it, okay? So for example, when you leave the house, if you've got, you know, your keys, you could even say keys, wallet, phone and walk out of the house. Then you start to gain a lot of confidence in yourself because you know no matter what, I always say that little man, that little fucking one line or whatever it is, and I know that I've always got that thing. I don't have to go back and check the keys. I don't have to go back and check the door. I'm confident that I did what I said I was doing and you make it a habit. Sometimes if you're someone who's so stressed and highly strung, you know, you're, you're always scattered and you don't know if you did this. You're, so, you're forgetting shit all the time. You can't trust your own memory to remember to do something. You just feel scattered and that's going to then bleed into how comfortable you are with yourself, how confident you are with yourself and your actions. So start to be more present, okay, and start to pay attention to the little things. And that's why one of those like one-liners before you leave the door where you say, you know, keys, wallet, phone, that's really good because it's a circuit breaker. It snaps you out of your like your loud, you know, subconscious overthinking mind and it snaps you into the moment being like bang, 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 and then you walk out the door. And no matter what you do, you even if you think, did I lock the door? You're like, I made the statement. I can trust that I did that. And you're confident in that. So have more moments where you, a lot of people, sometimes verbally saying something out loud is a really good way to build your confidence in knowing if you've done something or if you're going to do something. Like I said, confidence ultimately comes down to feeling certain about something. And when we're talking about self-confidence, you want to feel certain about yourself. You don't have to be sure that what you've done is the right thing or the wrong thing. But in that moment, you've got to be sure that that is the right decision for you right now. Okay. It's just this confidence of like, I can just be who I am. I don't have to pull out this funny one line. I don't have to this. I don't have to that. But that feeling comes from a lot of certainty in other areas of your life. And we're always seeking certainty. So if you can't provide certainty for yourself... You're going to seek it in other people and that's where your confidence and self-confidence gets shattered when you put the job that you can do for yourself into the hands of other people and that's when you have no control over what they're going to say, if they're going to judge you or not. It may be loving, it may be not. You don't know, okay? That level of certainty, you've got to try your best to do as much of that work from within and then whatever you get from other people is just a bonus, take it or leave it, okay? So that's how I want you to approach this confidence thing, just say it's all about certainty. Am I certain in myself or not? All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Hopefully you can do one, two or more of the things in today's episode, um, especially the sauna, guys. Sauna and exercise, love that so much. Anyway, love you guys and I will speak to you next episode. As always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.